Norma is just about completely worn out with listening to my CD of Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney singing White Christmas. Especially when it's 70 and 80 degrees in East Texas. But we are in that time of the year. The song says it's the most wonderful time of the year. And yet... All around us, what do we see? We see furrowed brows. We see worried expressions. We see people in a hurry. Going where we, they don't know where, but going somewhere. No time to stop. No time to meditate. No time to reflect on the joy of life. No time to reflect upon the rich and bountiful blessings that God has given to us. We see people whose lives seem to not have any joy in them. Folks, I'll be honest with you. I'll be best as frank as I know how. I just don't believe that God ever intended for me or you to live without joy in our lives. It makes my mind go back to that first miracle Jesus performed. It was in a little town called Cana of Galilee. Cana was an inconspicuous little town just outside of Nazareth. It was a place that had no social prominence attached to it whatsoever. But there was a wedding taking place. And Mary, Jesus' mother, was present at that wedding. And Jesus, along with His disciples, had all been invited to that wedding. Now, remember that in that day and time in Jewish culture, Social standing was extremely important. So we must assume that this wedding was a peasant wedding. Because if it had not been a peasant wedding, Jesus' mother being a peasant would not have been invited to the wedding. You see, Jesus' ministry, just like His birth, began in a very small, unimportant town to everyday folks. People like you and me. You could probably take the story of Jesus' first miracle being performed in Cana of Galilee and say it was performed in center of East Texas and not really do any violence to the story. Because you see... Cana was just a small, insignificant place, and there was just folks like us there. Now, the Jewish marriage ceremony, just to give you a little background. The Jewish marriage ceremony would begin at twilight. And it was the custom in Palestine to bear away the bride from home at the close of the day. And she would be covered from head to foot in her flowing veil. And she would be covered additionally with garlands of 
flowers and she would be dressed in her fairest robes. And she would be heralded. They would walk ahead of her and behind her and around her, heralded by torchlights. And there would be songs and there would be music and there would be dancing. And it was in that manner she was led from her home to the home of the bridegroom. And she was attended by the maidens of her native village. And the bridegroom, along with his youthful friends, would come out to meet her. Virgins were married on the fourth day of the week, and widows were married on the fifth day of the week. And after the marriage, the wedding feast was held at the home of the bridegroom. And oh my goodness, this was a joyous occasion. It was a time of great celebration. In fact, that feast and that celebration often lasted a number of days, sometimes a week. And after the wedding ceremony was over, the bride and the groom would walk through the streets of the city and they would be accompanied by their friends carrying flaming torches and the attendants would walk with them and carry a canopy over their heads. And it was customary during this procession through the village that the bridal party would take the longest route possible through the village. And that was so as many people as possible could see them and wish them the very best. And here was another custom. And boy, am I glad this one changed. The custom then was for the groom's family to provide all the refreshments for all the festivities. That's what was expected. And as I said, they lasted sometimes as long as a week. Well, it's at this point that we pick up the text that we want to look at this morning in the Gospel according to John in chapter 2. And the third day was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and His disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto Him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus said, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw you out now and bear it to the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants that drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and showed forth His glory, and His disciples believed on Him. You see, the host suddenly discovers that they're running out of wine. Maybe they had more guests than they'd anticipated. Maybe some people had showed up that didn't send in an RSVP. Or maybe folks were having such a good time, and the celebration lasted longer than they'd planned on, or 
being a peasant family, perhaps they just didn't have the financial resources to buy enough wine to start with. But whatever the reason, we come to this point at this wedding where Jesus and the disciples have been invited to, the wine is gone. And in, the, in that culture of that era, it would have been improper not to have wine. Now, the Jews did not get drunk. That would have actually been a disgrace. Drunkenness was a disgrace. But the culture was such the host could actually be sued for a breach of hospitality to his guests because he ran out of wine. And remember, as I said, this is likely a peasant wedding. These people would have been people of modest means and evidently did not have the resources to go out and purchase more wine. But we can also safely assume something else. That Mary was probably a close friend of these people. Because before it became common knowledge the wine was gone, Mary was aware that the wine was run out, had run out. Maybe Mary was serving in what we would call today the house party. And she realized, there's no more wine. So Mary comes to Jesus. And she says, we have a problem here. They have no wine. Now I want to know if you notice something right on the top. Something right on the very surface here in this story. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ is concerned about the everyday things that you and I face in life. He's concerned about the everyday problems that we confront. And He answers His mother. And He answers her in in what seems to be a harsh manner to us as we read a woman. Why do you say that to me? And yet, if you go back to the original language, the word that's translated there as woman is a term that is so respectful in the original Greek that it could be addressed to the most queenly and it was so gentle it could be addressed to those who were loved with a special tenderness. It was a word that was used by servants Speaking to the Queen. And it's the same word Jesus used from the cross when He commends His mother to the care of John. So as His mother comes and says, they have no wine, Jesus addresses her in a very kind and loving manner. Mary realizes something. Mary realizes that this is a very serious issue. I can read the story. I can almost hear the anxiety in her voice. They have no more wine. You see, to the Jewish people, wine symbolized joy. To be sure, the rabbis had a saying, without wine there is no joy. So on that day, At a wedding in Cana of Galilee, they were out of joy. The joy had run out. There's a symbolism there, folks. 
It reminds us of just how empty our lives are without Jesus. Because you see, Mary's statement goes deeper than just the liquid refreshment providing at a wedding. It's symbolic of our lives. Because you see, in our lives, in my life and in your life, the joy can run out. And in our lives, when the joy runs out, when the wine is gone, it's a scary thing in our lives. I think about this, and I always think back to several years ago when Matt was a freshman at Tarleton State University. And he came home for Christmas. It was December of 2005. He came home on December 16th when they got out of school. And oh, we had so much fun at Christmas. And yet, for another student at Tarleton State University that Christmas, the joy had run out. Someone reported a foul odor in one of the halls of one of the residence buildings. And it appeared to be emanating from a particular room. And they thought maybe it was a backed up sewer. They opened the door and in the closet of that room they found a young man hanging in his dorm room. January the 4th of 2006. Evidently no one had even missed him. So when everybody else was filled with joy and left the campus to go home for Christmas, the joy had run out for that young man. What happened in his life, no one knows, no one ever will. And evidently no one even missed him. But his joy ran out and he found no more reason for living. In our own lives, my life and yours, there are times in our lives when the wine runs out. There are times in our lives that there is no joy, that the joy has gone dry. And oftentimes there are folks that see no hope for tomorrow. Families that were once begun with the exuberant joy often end in the pain of divorce because there's no more joy in the relationship. And yet, while there are those who have not gone to that extreme, how many folks do we come in contact with on a daily basis who are not living a joy-filled life? How many do we come in contact with every day that at the very best are just enduring life? They just drift from one day to the next. Folks, Jesus didn't intend for it to be like that. And when the joy is gone, when our joy is dry, don't tell somebody, well, you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Because when the joy runs out, there, is, there are no resources within us to replace that joy. The world with all of its baubles and all of its glories and all of its sensual pleasures, it can't bring joy into my life or yours. The joy that you and I are seeking, the joy that the myriads of people who are enduring life today are seeking, 
The new wine in their lives only comes from Jesus Christ. But when the wine runs out, Jesus can take the water of our life and Jesus can turn it into wine. Mary came to Jesus at that wedding and she told Him what was going on. She told Jesus the situation. She told Jesus the problem that they were facing. And you know what I can see? I can see the groom's mother wringing her hands over the situation. I've been around a groom's mother at a wedding or two. And I know how they can be. But I hear Mary... As she tells that groom's mother, she said, hold on a minute. Don't worry about it. I think I know what we can do with this situation. And she took it to Jesus. And she said, son, they have no more wine. Then notice, I love what she said to the servants. I can see her by an eye of faith this morning. Son, they have no more wine. And she turns to the servants, whatever He tells you to do, you do it. Oh, wouldn't that be good advice for us today? Whatever Jesus says to do, do it. It eliminates so much confusion in the religious world today, would it not? What we've been talking about the last six weeks when we've been studying the misunderstood church. Jesus took the water pots that were used and filled with water for hand washing. You see, when the guests arrived... Someone would pour some of this water over their hands and it provided a symbolic purification. Because to eat with unwashed hands, that would have been a defilement. And so, Jesus took that ordinary water and He made somewhere around 120 plus gallons of wine. Jesus is not just the giver of joy in our lives. Jesus is the giver of abundant joy in our lives. Jesus met their immediate need at that wedding, but He did more. He gave an abundance. And not only that, Jesus didn't just make some ordinary wine. What He made was better than what they'd started with. Jesus didn't just doctor the wine up a little bit, to, or the water up a little bit to make it taste like wine. It wasn't like when you take and you put some Cairo in a saucepan and put a little maple flavoring in that Cairo and then a little food coloring to turn it brown and stir it up and you've made some maple syrup for your pancakes. No. Jesus didn't just doctor that up. He made the real thing. He transformed that water into the finest wine those people had ever tasted. When Jesus comes into our lives, Jesus is not going to just doctor our lives up a little bit either. Jesus isn't going to just put a band-aid on the needs of our life. He's going to transform our lives. Just like He changed that water into wine. If we focus on the water pots, we miss the whole point of the story. The point of the whole story is that Jesus is all about transformation. He turned the water into wine at that marriage feast, absolutely. But Jesus turns frowns into smiles. 
Jesus turns whimpers of fear into songs of hope. Jesus turns the desert of our life into a garden. And Jesus turns sorrow into joy and death into life. Jesus Christ is all about transforming power. Changing people's lives through the power of the gospel. Changing grievous sinners into great saints. And you know what Jesus does? He offers an abundance of new wine at the end. You know, sometimes we have a hard time understanding that. Understanding that God not only meets our needs, but God provides an abundance. But that, folks, is the story of God's love. God provides an abundance of love. God is not just the God of the required. God is the God of the abundance. So the wine at that wedding was poured and the people rejoiced at the richness of this new wine. And that was completely against the custom of that day and time. Because they always offered the best wine first. But isn't that just like Jesus? The best always comes at the end. It's like the writer of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8, better is the end of the thing than the beginning. When the wine runs out, when the joy is gone, that's when we take it to Jesus. You see, when Jesus Christ becomes the Lord and Master of our lives, He's going to transform sorrow into joy. He's going to give us an abundance of joy in our lives. But to experience that abundance of joy, Jesus has to be Lord and Master of our lives. And if Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of my life, well, He's not Lord and Master at all in my life. I don't know the needs of your life this morning, but if you need to make changes for Jesus to be Lord and Master of all of your life, whatever we can help you with, this is your opportunity to come as we stand and while we sing.